Welcome to the Propreneur Podcast, where we help practice owners become better entrepreneurs. I'm your host, Dino Watt. Welcome once again, everybody, to the Propreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dino Watt, and excited to have you here for another great show where we're going to talk about the best practices in your practice through making sure that you are more proactive, productive, and profitable in all areas of your life and business. Once again, we want to give a shout out to all of you who are subscribing to the show and who have recommended to your friends and colleagues. It's the number one way that this show is growing the way it is, uh, and we're just grateful for that. Again, we are really close to our uh, 100th episode. We've already got that one in the can. We're re- ready to share that with you with our amazing author, uh, Derek Gaunt there. And today, we're also going to give you another great author and Dr. Eric Block, who is here to share with us all the ways that he was once stressed out as a dentist, but has overcome that. And I don't know about any of you out there, but stress is an issue for many of us, right? It's like, I know that sometimes I get overwhelmed and overstressed. And I talk about in my speeches how stress is the, or the number one killer of dentists is stress-related cardiovascular disease. So this is going to be an episode you're going to want to pay attention to. So make sure that you're either uh, taking notes, pulled over on the side of the road, however you're listening to the show, make sure that you are uh, able to listen intently and get ready for an awesome show. So let's start by welcoming our guest today, Dr. Eric Block. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks so much, Dino. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. I'm excited to have you here, especially because this topic that you're talking about, I think is so important. And I know that in this industry, uh, any, anywhere in the oral healthcare industry, people know it, but I don't know if there's a lot of conversation around it. As a matter of fact, most of the conversation ends up being in the aftermath, right? Oh, how to you know avoid suicide? How to uh, once that happens? How do you overcome that and the, the terrors and the, the the frustrations of that? And I get that, and that's important. But gosh, why don't we start talking about it like you are of how not to get to that point? So before we get into all of that, what I would love to do as on as we do on this show every single episode is we want to get into your story. We want to find out why you decided to do what you do and what do you love about it, and just tell us your brief history. So if you would let us, let's hear it. Yeah, so I'm from, I live in Acton, Massachusetts. I live in practice here. It's about 30 minutes west of Boston. And, you know, my dad was a dentist, so I was always, mm. had always been around it. Um, however, I went to Tulane University as a business major, and mm. I took um, a couple classes, uh, statistics and microeconomics with 500 other kids. And I said, this isn't for me. <laughs> I switched to psychology um, uh, because I had to choose something. Um, but I, um, decided to take all the prereqs, uh, for, I was thinking about becoming a physical therapist or a doctor. Um, you know, dentistry was always kind of in the back of my mind. Um, but at Tulane, there wasn't a pre-med, um, major. So I was doing this on the side. So I was taking the prereqs. Um, then one night at a bar, um, I, was uh, with a, I had a bottle of beer and I just missed my mouth and I broke my uh, central incisor number nine. Um, and the, I remember my friends scrambling around to get the piece of tooth that broke. And one of my friends, just a mess with me, kept it in his wallet, I think for the rest of the semester. Oh, no. um, so that night I walked around with uh, half of uh, my um, front tooth missing, but the next day I went to a local dentist in uh, Metairie, Louisiana. Um, and I just really liked the experience of the way they, you know, they took care of me, they patched me up. Um, the customer service was great. 
And that kind of got me thinking um, maybe dentistry is, is a, a route that I would mm. um, go into. So I started hanging around my, my dad's office. Um, he's, he's now since retired. Um, and I started taking the rest of the prereq classes. Uh, I took a year off after Tulane to catch up with the prereq classes, take the DATs. Uh, I taught tennis. That was my, my year off. Wow. Um, I saw the brochure um, of Nova Southeastern with palm trees on it. And I said, that's where <laughs> I need to go to dental school. Um, so I went to Nova. Uh, I was the second class to graduate. Um, so it was, it was basically a brand new school. Hmm. Um, and then after Nova, I did a two-year implant residency at BU, uh, which ended up bringing me back to Massachusetts. So it was like a, a mini Prosperio program, but we focused on uh, extractions, bone grafts, implants. Uh, um, and then I um, entered into uh, the world of associating and then into um, uh, becoming a partner in the practice that I'm uh, owning now. Wow, what a what a journey you took. Uh, it's interesting that you grew up with it. Oftentimes, I find that people typically go into their profession because of usually one of three areas, either they grew up around it, right? Dad was it, so I became it, or grandpa was it too. Um, I had no idea what I wanted to do and I fell into it or I had some traumatic experience and I, it was such a great experience after the trauma that I wanted to learn more about it and do that. And you had almost a mixture of the first two or the first, the first and last one, right? Where you had grew up around it, but it still wasn't not that it wasn't on your radar, but wasn't something you're moving towards. But that incident with the bottle and the tooth made you rethink it. So that's really cool. I really like hearing people's stories of why they do what they do. And tell us now, uh, how long have you been working in your practice for as a partner and co-owner? Yeah, so I, I associated for a long time. Um, I've been a partner for five years. Um, okay. I've been practicing about 18 years. Um, so I associated uh, way too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, um, you know, I throughout the whole, um, you know, each phase of dentistry, um, I felt different stresses um, from deciding to go to school, then in school, then deciding what to do after school, whether to do a residency or going to private practice. Um, then, then once I was associating, there was the stresses involved with that. And then becoming a business owner, uh, there was, that's a whole nother level of, of stress. So sure. um, each kind of phase um, created its own, own challenges. Um, but um, I've been uh, the uh, practice owner, uh, partner for about five years. Well, you're getting me all excited when you said that you went to school first for business because it's uh, it's not that it's uncommon, but it's unusual for people to both have a business degree or learn something about business and become an orthodontist, dentist, anybody anywhere in the private practice field, doctor, because they don't they don't teach you that stuff in school. So it's a it's a bonus and a benefit to have that background behind you. So what has been the biggest transition that you've felt? You've spent so many time so long in as an associate, but I'm sure you learned a ton about what to do and what not to as an associate. But then how has that helped you as a business owner now? Yeah, so I, I worked in a lot of different offices um, and all different types of offices. Um, there was even one point where I was like a traveling uh, implantologist where oh, really? um, I would go to several different offices. Um, however, that that is a challenge in its own where you're you know, you have no control over the schedule, sure. with, you know, the supplies, the staff, 
Um, so that actually, um, um, I got tired of that um, after a few years. Um, so each, each office that I worked in, I, I did take little bits and pieces of what was working, what wasn't working, yep. um, and tried to bring those um, uh, systems to, uh, when I did become um, an owner, I wanted to bring those along what I had learned along the way. Um, however, uh, when I became a practice owner, I was shot out of a cannon and I wanted to do all these changes and uh, do everything now. And um, that was not the right way to go about it, um, especially the staff onboarding. Um, a lot of these uh, staff members were legacy staff members or, or still are. Mm -hmm. And they were used to a certain way, a certain style of system. And I was so eager um, to come in and, and do all these changes. You know, I, I wasn't new to the office. I'd been associating there for, for many years, but right. I, I wanted to make a lot of changes. And I didn't explain the why of why I wanted to make these changes. And there was a lot of resistance and people fear change and they didn't want to um, change. So um, I learned a lot from associating in the different offices, um, but my uh, uh, way of um, adding those to my um, uh, becoming an owner, I didn't quite go about it um, the way that um, if I could go back, I would have done it differently and kind of eased into things and explained the why to the staff and got the staff more on board of why we were doing some of these changes. They're like, who are you now? All of a sudden you were, you know, associating and all of a sudden now you want to change things up. And I, I hear that from whether you are an associate in that office beforehand or the new doc coming in who just acquired that business. I mean, it's, I love your, um, I use the phrase as well, legacy team members, mm -hmm. right? Like they've been there so long. Why change things up? They're going to be the hardest ones to shift. I was doing an interview last, I want to say two weeks ago with uh, Jill Allen, who is a consultant in the ortho space. She does startups. And I was talking to her about, you know, this very problem when you go in and you acquire a new practice, uh, obviously one of the challenges, the, the team members are already there. And she said she has a process that she puts everyone, no matter how long you've been there, when there's a new doctor that takes over, everyone's on a 90 day probation period from there. And then that if you aren't a fit for the culture and the team and what the doctor wants in those 90 days, then you're out of there. And, and you know, she says, I know it sounds kind of harsh, but that doctor has got to be able to establish who he is. And those team members have got to understand they've got a transition as well. So I know it can be really difficult. Let's talk about that because the stress of team members and staff is, is real. Like that can cause a lot of stress when you're someone who has not been really trained on human relations or uh, emotional intelligence or uh, how to deal with, you know, different attitudes. I, the reason I got into this industry in general was I had a doc I was working with, he and his wife and their marriage I used to do that a lot where I would help people have better relationships since that were professionals. And he said, you know, this is working great in my marriage, but I want to ask you a question. I'm married to six other work wives mm -hmm. and uh, they all have different personalities. How do I manage all of those? And that's what got me into this whole industry right there. That was the, the, the kicker. So talk to me about uh, the stresses that you find most doctors come up against inside their business that, it could be managed if they actually just had the right tools. 
Yeah, so I just wanted to uh, take a step back to your comment about the, I, I really like that 90 day uh, probationary mm -hmm. um, trial period. Um, I, I think that's a, a great, great way to, to do it. Um, however, um, I have a partner, so ah. there are some wrinkles there and that, you know, mm -hmm. we have to see eye to eye and everything and, and mm -hmm. uh, make decisions together. So sometimes that's not so easy to just uh, sure. institute a, a policy like that. Um, so, and, and that's a marriage in itself when you it have a sure partner. Is. I mean, I see him more than I, I see my wife. Yeah. Um, but um, so a, a lot of the um, uh, stresses that um, I dealt with over my career were, um, you know, my personality, I'm an introvert. Um, I was always a, a people pleaser. I would say, um, I wanted to make everyone happy. Um, I didn't like confrontation. I felt uncomfortable saying no. Um, I wanted to say yes to all the patients, the staff, um, and I wanted, you know, everyone to, you know, I wanted to be like that fun, you know, the fun, cool guy. Um, and I was saying no to myself a lot and yes to other people. So um, one of the major ways that I really, um, uh, you know, I, I really suffered from anxiety and burnout and um, uh, as an associate and then my transition becoming an owner because, um, you know, the, 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 the staff resistance I, I got um, from the, um, the changes I was trying to make. Um, there was sure there were some drama queens in the office. Um, there was poor behavior that had been tolerated for years. And I wanted to have set a tone of a, of a good, um, positive culture. And, you know, some of the staff um, uh, weeded themselves out. Um, they sure. moved on or we had to get rid of because they just didn't want to play nice with Yeah, others. they weren't a fit. Mm -hmm. Weren't a good fit. Um, there was, you know, we had, you know, staff members fighting with each other, crying. I mean, you name it, we had it. And it's wow. put stress on you. It put stress on the rest of the staff. Um, poor behavior had been tolerated. And the patient sense that too, when there's, when there's stress in the office. Um, so I, I really, I, I, went to get, um, I took action because I was suffering burnout and I thought to myself, I can't, you know, do this for the next 20 or 30 years and, and go into work, um, not enjoying the people that I work with. Um, I was always stressed, um, about patients. What do they like me? Am I going to get sued? Um, I always wanted to do the perfect treatment. Um, and I was, I would, I'd take it personal if a patient didn't reschedule with me. Um, and a lot of it was just not being, you know, confident or comfortable in my own skin. Um, so I had to do something and I took action and I went to see a therapist, um, a combination of some medications and a lot of changes at work, um, really, and it took years. Um, and it led to me to, um, the point that I'm at now where I, I enjoy going to work every day. Mm. Um, I think the major um, eureka uh, moment was that I, I needed to um, start saying yes to myself um, and no to others and just stop caring. And I'm not talking about caring about treatment or patients. Uh, stop caring what people thought about me. I didn't care if they didn't like me. I didn't care if they accepted that treatment um, with the staff. 
you know, I, I'm your boss, you're working for me and this is, you know, what I need you to do. And right. Um, sorry, if you don't like me, you don't have to like me. Yeah. Um, and, um, I think that was a really, um, uh, you know, change in, in, in getting me to getting back to enjoying working again. Well, that's really important. I uh, talk about this concept often around uh, force, right? Sometimes we're trying to force an issue, whatever it is in our life, but we can use this in our practice that we, when we have force, we automatically have resistance, right? Imagine force up against a block wall. You're going to have resistance up that block wall and that's going to create tension and that tension is going to create paralysis. And so when I ever, whenever I see a practice that is really stagnant and is not really moving the ball forward the way that they want to be. It's usually because if we go all the way back three steps, there's something that people are forcing other people. There's a forced uh, uh, dictatorship, if you will. And there's not this feeling of, no, 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 we want you to be here because you want to be here and you want to, yeah, you need to follow the core values. You need to want to be going towards our vision because we're the ones ultimately in charge of that. But I don't want to be, I want you to force you to be here. It's I want you to want to be here. So I'm assuming this is what then created the desire to write a book. And I got to tell you, first of all, I love it when people write books. Um, I think not only are books a great way to get out of your head, uh, the thoughts and ideas in your head out of it, but and to share with other people. But you said you had some children. Is that correct? Yeah, I have two kids, uh, okay. a five and seven year old. So you're leaving them a gift too. And this is what I don't think a lot of people think about with the, with the books is, you're letting them and your grandkids and your great grandkids and stuff. As soon as you have this book published, you're going to let your whole posterity see a window into your mind at this point in your life. And that's something that is so powerful that not a lot of people think about when it comes to a book. So I love it. I want to hear how this book came to be and, and why you decided to sit down and take the time to write this. Yeah, I really wanted to, um, you know, because I, I speak to a lot of uh, friends and colleagues and I go on Facebook groups a lot and, and Dental Town. Um, mm-hmm. And there's just a lot of stories out there where, you know, dentists are struggling with mental health and burnout. Um, and it's a very stressful profession, you know, physically, mentally. Um, we come out um, with basically no, you know, business knowledge. I, I think I had an hour of business right. class in dental school. So yeah. we're, we're, we're entrepreneurs, we're clinicians, we wear a lot of hats. Um, we're dealing with staff. Um, now, I mean, and now you, you add in the, the pandemic and oh, uh, gosh. it's a whole, um, you know, you add that into, and all the, the, the young, you know, the kids coming out of school now, the amount of financial stress they're under um, with all the loans um, that they're coming out with. Yep. Um, so I, you know, I, I was in a dark place and I really re- you know, regretted my place in the profession. I had uh, regrets and doubts. And, um, um, you know, the most important thing is I said, I, I need to do something. So I, I, I took action. I took some steps um, and made a lot of changes. Um, and I just wanted to kind of tell my story. And, and if there's dentists out there, some of my story may resonate with them and, and help them um, and, and kind of get out of that dark hole and get back to enjoying dentistry and dealing with, um, you know, working with patients and the, the, you know, the, the clinical, um, side of things. Um, a lot of it, uh, also my, my, my joy and, um, you know, happiness came from, um, um, changes such as, um, 
I, we switched from, you know, traditional polyvinyl impressions to a digital scanner. So hmm. I enjoy doing crown preps more than I did before. It's something that makes me happy. Hmm. Um, I, I do more um, uh, CT scans and a digital workflow for implants. So that makes it so much less stressful and it makes me happy and enjoy doing these procedures. Um, and also the confidence where if a patient is uh, not a good fit for me, or if they don't agree with, you know, my treatment and they leave, that's fine. It's not going to ruin my day. I, you know, gave them the best options and um, I, I don't get upset when, um, you know, if a patient um, um, uh, doesn't, um, you know, want to continue treatment um, with me. Um, uh, the other thing that was really helpful for me was um, distracting my brain from just the office. So mm. I, I started a website um, during the Corona shutdown. It was my, my shutdown project. Yeah. Um, it's called dealsfordentist.com. Uh -huh. And it's, a, it's basically a free marketplace where dentists um, can go on for free and it's ungated. There's no membership. Um, and vendors place promos and I'm connecting oh. dentists to, to vendors. So um, a dentist, especially young dentists can go on and find new customer offers and um, I'll connect them with the, the dental company. So that website was a major distraction from the office. So it just got my mind off of the office yep. um, because I had something else going on. Um, from there, I actually started a podcast um, oh, nice. called the deals for dentist podcast. Uh -huh. Um, and again, that was such a, it's such a fun thing to do. And it takes your mind away from all the, you know, issues going on at the office or the struggles we're dealing with. Yeah. Um, and then I wanted to kind of put all of uh, that together into a book to, to help any other young dentists or, or dentists that are struggling out there. You mentioned earlier about like some changes you had to make. Would you say that those were kind of the biggest changes or was there something specific that you really saw helped you turn the corner and get out of that dark space? It was um, seeking therapy, um, oh, nice. kind of fi figuring out, you know, what makes me tick. Um, of course, they always, uh, it, go it goes back to, you know, a lot to your childhood, sure. but I had to get comfortable in my own skin. I, I couldn't be always saying no to me and yes to everyone else mm -hmm. um, and try to please everyone. And, and um, um, so I started to, um, it, it, you know, it took a while. There were some confrontations with some staff members. Um, I brought in cons some consultants and coaches um, into the office, nice. um, let some staff members go um, and just really got more comfortable in my confidence in me, mm -hmm. um, my skills, uh, my patient um, presentation when I when I talk to patients, um, and if a patient you know doesn't you know accept the treatment or a staff member is um, unhappy with something, um, I don't get too upset about it. Um, Good. I, yeah, it's that was one of the major um, changes internally. I think that's great. I tell people all the time, you got to get over the idea that people saying no to you makes your treatment any less, you know, and that same way them saying yes to you doesn't make it any better. It's just right. a choice they're making and it's totally okay. It's a good thing to do. 
you know, uh, obviously, you know, this, everybody listening knows this. I don't know if it's always a common focus, although it is common knowledge that obviously if you're in that dark place in your business, it's affecting you personally too. It's affecting your relationship with your spouse. It's affecting the way that you're showing up as a, as a parent. How do you, how, where, how do you see that the shift in that for you in the positive, like what's, what's different in your personal relationship when it comes to how you feel about yourself, how are you showing up better as a dad? Yeah, just in, in generally, I was, I was really stressed out, you know, a few years ago and that's all I could think about was, was mm. the office, the office, the office, the office. And, uh, you know, as an associate, um, you have different stresses. You're trying to uh, hone your skills. You're uh, dealing with someone else's staff under someone else's roof and you're, trying to have you know, a lot of saying things and yeah. yeah. Um, but as an, and when, as an associate, once you leave the office, you leave the office. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you may be thinking about some treatment. Um, what if this case didn't go as well as I had planned? Um, but typically you, you leave the office um, as an owner, you never really leave the office. When you get home, you're still thinking about yeah. um, the staff, the HR insurance, you know, um, and that's all I could think about. So um, the changes that I made, it, it really allowed me to just be um, less distracted at home and, and happier. And so how did, what did you implement for yourself, both physically, mentally, emotionally through this change to help you not fall back into that dark space? Because I feel like sometimes that, you know, the world is conspiring against you maybe someone is out there is like, yeah, I was in a really great place. I got into a good place and then all of a sudden COVID hit or, yep. you know, I dealt with COVID and then all of a sudden I get back and I can't find any good team members to hire right now. I thought I'd be able to find better team members or I have team members who won't come back. And so I'm short staffed or like, how did, what, what processes did you put in place to make sure you didn't get pulled back? Yeah. Really, these other projects that I'm working on, you know, the book, the podcast, the website, those are really, you know, you, your brain can only, you know, occupy so much. And if you're just doing one thing and you're just focused on just the office, um, then I think maybe, yes, I would have fallen back into that, but I started creating other projects for myself, um, some other avenues. Um, and I, I wake up and I'm excited to, you know, every day to work on, um, my website, the podcast, now the book, when I, the days that I'm practicing and I'm going to the office, I enjoy those days. Um, so I think having a good mix uh, of, of things you're interested in, um, I got back into, you know, little things too. Like I got back into playing tennis and oh, good. I really yeah. that. And, um, you know, just trying to keep your brain occupied um, uh, was, was really, really helpful for me. I think a lot of times we forget that we are um, holistic beings that need holistic, you know, uh, cures. We need to be able to not just be the owner of a business or the dentist or even the dad or the husband at certain times. We got to remember we're an individual person and we need to fill up our bucket. And if it's tennis, you know, it's tennis. I tell doctors all the time, I wrote about my first book, even you need to have something inside of your office that is a touchstone that reminds you of something you enjoy, you're passionate about. I have a doctor in Arizona who grew up as a dancer. She was a, a ballet dancer. She doesn't do it anymore at all. She's hasn't been on a dance floor and I don't know how long, 
But in her office, when you walk in, she's got this beautiful painting of a ballerina under the spotlight. And it just helps her connect with who she is when she walks in there. So I, I think little things like that are so important to do. So if it's tennis, if it's golf, bike riding, whatever, make sure you make sure that happens. What are, um, how have, have people, since you've been talking about this more openly, like I said, at the beginning of the show, I think we need to do it more often. Have, have you had people reaching out to you and talking to you about their stories and been able to help out that way? Oh yeah. It's, I mean, it's amazing. And it's different levels. You know, some people are in a different phase of their career, whether they're associating, whether they're just getting out of school or whether they just, you know, quit the profession in general. I mean, it's, it's all over the board, but I've, I've talked to so many um, friends and colleagues and I, I, the, I feel like the common theme is that at some point during their career, they suffered from anxiety or, or mm. some, some type of burnout. Um, and um, people had, you know, different ways of coping with that. Others left the profession. Others are still suffering from it. So yeah, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about it. Uh, I'm going to put you on the spot here. I don't know if you know the answer to this or not, but might as well have fun and play with it. Uh, are there any, like, if somebody's listening right now and they recognize themselves and what you're saying, maybe it's the stress or the, um, the burnout feeling, any quick tips that you could give to say, hey, do this like this week, do this tomorrow to get on the path to pulling yourself out of that dark spot? Yeah, I think that first realizing that there's a problem, you know, first realizing that um, there's stress, there's anxiety, there's burnout is number one. Uh, number two is take action on that problem, um, whether it's um, maybe cutting down your days, um, maybe not working on certain patients you don't feel comfortable working on or certain procedures that you don't feel comfortable or stressing you out. Um, uh, take action, you know, do something um, because it's not going to go away and it's probably going to get worse. Um, and try to get comfortable in your own skin um, and make yourself happy. You know, it, if it's, you know, buying that, you know, that expensive piece of equipment that maybe doesn't have that return on investment, but makes you happy, then, then do it. You know, mm-hmm. you want to go into work, um, enjoying the, the profession and also working with people you enjoy working with. Um, if there's that, you know, person, that bad apple that's uh, causing you stress at work, then, you know, and you're the owner, then I would move on from them. Absolutely. I've told, I've said it more than once on this show. Look, if you have a, a, I use the analogy that if you're walking into the office in the morning and that person who stresses you out or you don't think is a good fit uh, says good morning to you and you say good morning back, but in your head, you're thinking, boy, I wish you'd quit. You know, that is not on them. That's on you. They have no clue. They're going about their day, doing their thing. No one's stopping them from being a jerk if they're being a jerk. No one's stopping them from just doing the wrong thing if they're doing the wrong thing. And yet you're the one who's allowing that behavior to continue or that relationship to continue. And so in your own integrity, give yourself the opportunity to let them, love them into another job. Like love them enough to say, this isn't going to work out. But I want to back up to something that you said here because um, when we talk about the stress and anxiety, I, I think so much of it comes from not being willing to say no when you want to say no. So you just said, you know, if there's somebody that's you're, you're uncomfortable working on or a procedure you're uncomfortable doing, then don't. And I immediately thought of how many doctors, and I'll probably put myself in there as just a, as a business person, 
you fear saying no because of the ramifications of what might possibly be other than somebody might be upset with you and that's okay. You can live with that. But how did you get okay with, or are you still working on getting okay with saying no? Oh, I'm totally comfortable with it now because I feel like saying no to them is saying yes to me. Mm. And there's a, if there's a procedure that I don't feel comfortable with um, or a patient that I just don't feel like is going to be a good fit for me. Um, and it's always tough. You know, if you're an associate and you're under someone else's roof and you're trying to pay the bills and you have loans and you want to try to do, you know, as much as you can, you don't want to disappoint the owner. Um, so it's a little more challenging as an associate, but as an owner, um, I, I'm very comfortable saying no to a patient and, uh, you know, I do it very nicely. Um, um, and I just, this, this is a little bit beyond my comfort zone or this isn't quite a good fit. Um, I have a great, you know, someone great I can refer you to, or maybe it's someone else in my office that they can work with. Um, but I'm saying yes to myself because I know that if I end up doing that procedure to please them, that that may cause me stress and, yeah. um, it's not, it's not worth it. Absolutely. hundred percent. Wow. Well, this is great stuff here. I wanted to ask you as you're building your business, as you're going uh, through with your partner, like you said, uh, you, you, you know, it is a marriage the same way. Um, what's, you've got some things going on that seem to be going well with your book and with your uh, podcast, with your, um, with deals for dentists, what's not working? Where are you finding some stress right now? Cause I know a lot of people can relate to, yeah, we got some stuff going on, but nothing's perfect for everybody. So where are some stresses going on in your business right now? Oh yeah. Dino right now, the, you know, the, the doctor's schedules are slammed, mm -hmm. but the hygiene is really tanking. We're really having to struggle with, with the hygiene schedule. Um, and it's just getting over that barrier of, um, patients not wanting to come in because of COVID they're, they're putting off their cleaning. So, um, we have a lot of holes in our hygiene schedule right now. How well are you guys doing about educating them on what you do to make sure everything's safe? That's, that's such a great point. Um, so what I think I'm going to do is, is create a video of our office. Our office looks like a meth lab. It's all tarped up and, you know, it's, it's totally, everyone who, ends up going feels totally safe yep. and we're getting these great reviews. So um, I'm going to create a video of kind of showing what we're doing, all the precautions we're taking great and idea. then maybe um, send a link to our reviews um, showing um, how patients feel safe. Yeah. I think it's a really great idea because um, one of the things that I noticed at the very beginning of COVID is you as dentists, anybody in the oral healthcare field, you are above and beyond sterile of what needs that you were this before COVID. Now this is on everybody's mind for everybody in this field. Uh, we've been doing this for years now. Like it's no big deal. And what we don't know as the lay public is that you guys are so good at it. You're kind of stealth or ninja about it. Mm -hmm. So our thoughts are as the public going, um, okay, so I'm going to go in there. They're going to use these drills on me. How do I know that they're as sterile as they should be? you have to educate people on why they're going to be not only fine, but better than fine here. I would even use statistics that I was talking to a podcast just a few weeks ago uh, with Scott um, Emmett 
who is the president of the the DEO, the dental, uh, the dental, uh, the entrepreneur dental organization, I think it is, mm-hmm. a dentist entrepreneur organization. And he was saying, and he said on the podcast that there's not been a single case of transference of COVID from dentist to patient in the world, mm-hmm. from dentist to patient. That's something that gives a lot of reassurance to people. I would totally use that stat. I would let them know, you know, how amazing and, and be dumb it down, right? We don't want to talk over them, but let them know this is how it is. And I think the video is really brilliant and tell them why missing out on their cleaning is not something they want to do just because of COVID. As a matter of fact, it's going to help them avoid COVID even more because they're going to have their oral health care better. Everything that we put into our mouth deals with our body and go with that whole conversation of you're probably, you know, the best way to defeat COVID is by your immune system being high. You can't have a great immune system. If you got a lot of cavities da da da. you know, go down that rabbit hole with them. Yeah. I, and I think, um, um, maybe some role playing and uh, with the, with the staff on their phone skills. Absolutely. Um, yeah. I think that's something we're going to, we're going to have to do as well. The best role play in the world is have them record their calls, not for you to listen to them, but for them to listen back to them mm-hmm. and see where they're missing pieces, where they are, um, where they are really listening fully, where they sound like they're going through a script, uh, where they're not sounding as personable. I literally got an email yesterday from a team member in uh, Dallas that I asked her to do this. And she was like, you know, I, I can't believe how uh, non-connected I felt at some points where I could just hear myself going, boy, I wasn't even paying attention. Right. It's, it's great training for them to do that. So great. I, I hope that helps. And I, I think that'll be a good idea for you guys to do that. I got to tell you, I think this book is so crucial to this industry and really a lot of industries. Uh, I was one stressed out dentist is the name of the book, the potential name of the book, right? Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. And uh, that'll be available at about first quarter next year? Yeah, I'm hoping uh, mid-February. Okay, awesome. That sounds awesome. Well, I'm excited for that. I'm so grateful that you're able to join us on the show. We've come to the point in our show where we uh, end with our six questions we ask every guest on the show. It's rapid fire just off top of your head. Are you willing to play? Let's do it. All right. So what's the number one thing that you wish they would have taught you back in graduate school? Oh, for sure. Any, any accounting or business, uh, classes, um, you know, how, how, you know, to, to, to deal with the business end of the profession, um, and staff. Yes. <laughs> how staff. to deal with staff. Yeah. yeah, deal yeah. With them. Uh, okay. Um, what is one book that you think every private practice owner should be reading? Um, I, I really enjoyed, um, it's okay to be the boss. Um, that was, um, by Bruce Tulgan. Um, of course I have, um, I have a book right here. That was, Hey, excellent. there you go. Um, that was your book. Um, I like a boss. I, I actually like to leave that on the uh, lunchroom uh, table just to, uh, <laughs> no, just kidding. Just to care, scare the staff. Yeah. Hey, part, um, of, part of what I say in the book is you got to let everybody know that everyone's replaceable and it's not as a threat. It's just, we got to protect them as the team members. Right. Yeah. Cause that, cause two, one team member leaves. I just had this in one of my offices. I had a team member who had somebody in their family who was, you know, dying from a long-term illness and no warning, no nothing, just up one Monday and just called them while they were on their way to the other state saying, Oh, I'm not going to be in for the rest of the week. Boy, that staff is, is, is up in the air. They're now having to pay yeah. uh, to make up for them. So yeah. 
things important. Well, speaking of other of my books, my very first book, The Practice Rx, I focus a lot on team culture and team performance as the foundation for business growth. So as an owner of a business, what do you see as your biggest challenge that your colleagues and you talk about when it comes to teams and their office culture? Yeah, I, you know, I learned so much uh, by learning from my mistakes and, um, you know, it's communication um, with the staff, you know, like I said earlier, explaining the why good, you know, good job descriptions, uh, setting, you know, their your expectations of, of, of the staff members. Um, and, you know, as an owner, you know, lead your staff, don't let them lead you being a, you know, a good leader is, is so important. Um, and to set the tone of the culture, you know, I set the tone uh, pretty early on that I don't, you know, I don't let drama or whispering or um, any, anything like that um, affect the, the team. You have to come in, you got to be ready to work and you got to be positive. Yep. So important. Got to have that positive mindset as you're walking in there. So before we get to the last two questions, the next question is how do people get a hold of you and how can they connect with you if they wanted to know more about you? Definitely the deals for dentists is a open source for these dentists as well, but how can they get a hold of you? Yeah. So right now info at dealsfordentist.com is the best way to get in touch with me. That's my email. Okay, cool. Well, I would suggest everybody uh, go to info at uh, deals for dentists right now so that you can say, Hey, let me know when the book is available and you can get on that list there to get that as soon as it's ready. Mm -hmm. uh, number five, what is the best advice that you've ever received in life or in business? I, I think, um, one of my professors at, at BU said that smart people learn from their mistakes, but smarter people learn from other people's mistakes. Mm. Um, unfortunately, I was not in the latter category. <laughs> I learned from my own mistakes, my, my own mistakes, but um, I, I really think that that was um, um, great advice. Um, but, you know, for me, it was, I wasn't the one in school that, you know, you know, automatically, you know, got everything right away. It took me my 10,000 hours to really hone my skills clinically and um, um, also uh, patient-wise, how to talk to patients. So, you know, it took me a long time, but that, that was a great piece of advice that I'd heard. Absolutely. I like that. That's very good. Last question is, what's the best resource or tool that you believe every private practice owner should you be using to grow their practice? Uh, well, I think, you know, peer engagement is so important. Um, whether it's Facebook groups, yeah. you know, town, um, you know, just having good mentors. If you're a young dentist, um, you know, engage with your peers and your colleagues, I, I think is so important, especially for solo practitioners that are, can be isolated in their own little bubble, um, getting out there and talking to your peers and realizing that you're not the only one that's dealing with a lot of these issues and you can learn from other people's mistakes and see what they're doing, what's working. So I think just getting out there and networking. Absolutely. I love it. That's so smart. Well, I'm a big fan of that, of course, with my Propener network and with uh, the, the study clubs that I speak at. I think it's so important for people to do that, whether it be online, offline, uh, you know, I don't know, carrier pigeons, make sure you're connecting with other people in your life. It's so <laughs> important. Well, thank you so much, Eric, for being here and being part of this show and giving us so many good gems that we can use inside of our businesses. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Dino.
Everybody, thank you again for being a part of the Propreneur podcast and for uh, tuning in here. And I hope you took away a lot of great information today. I know I certainly did. And I would just like to put a special plea out to all of you that if you are stressed out, if you're feeling overwhelmed, especially during this time of COVID, yes, connect with other people, but also reach out to, as Dr. Eric did, a therapist, find out a professional who can uh, help you get through this. Just like you don't want your patients to try to do their own fillings or to try to fix their uh, teeth by themselves or what they learned on YouTube, you don't want to be dealing with your own brain by yourself or just talking to a friend who doesn't really know what they're doing. Talk to a professional. So that's my plea for all of you because it is that important. We need more healthy doctors mentally and physically as well. So thank you, Eric, for bringing this subject to light. We really appreciate it. And everybody, thank you again for tuning in to the Propreneur Podcast. Remember, our goal here is always to help you be more proactive, more productive, and more profitable in all areas of your life and business. We'll see you on the next episode, everybody. Thanks so much again for listening to the Propreneur Podcast. We really appreciate your support. If you haven't subscribed already, please make sure you do so. Also, if you feel like you might be a good fit for our podcast as a guest or know somebody who you think would be, go ahead and email us at dino at dinowatt.com. Again, thanks for support. We'll see you on the next episode.